Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Today, my guest is a Canadian YouTuber named Ken Bacor, whose EV revolution show is required viewing for those interested in electric vehicles, battery technology, and public policy surrounding the implementation of an EV network. What's remarkable about this guy is that his self-produced show is a hobby, something he does on the side. He's a father, a husband, and has a 30-plus year career in information technology. He's also very passionate about the environment, and once he discovered electric vehicles a few years ago, he channeled that passion into what has become a very successful YouTube show. If you've seen his show, you know you will enjoy my interview with him, and if you haven't, after hearing him, I'm sure you'll be logging into YouTube and searching out the EV Revolution show. But before we get to the interview, here's what's making news in the electric vehicle space right now. German Chancellor Angela Merkel has declared that her government wants 1 million electric vehicle charging points in the European nation by 2030, representing 50 times the current number of 20,000 charging points. Noble to be sure, but also as likely to happen as U.S. President Donald Trump embracing the Paris Accord. As much as some politicians and government policymakers have nudged the EV adoption needle, in this country thanks mostly to rebate programs, Such proclamations as Merkel's do the EV revolution a real disservice. Not the sentiment of a million charging stations, but rather by assigning a date to such a milestone. We're seeing similar such political grandstanding in this country, with certain provincial governments proclaiming gasoline-free roadways by 2050, an arbitrary number that is about as much basis in reality as the flying car, ride-hailing service promised by 2040, and getting a pizza delivered by a drone by 2020. To be sure, governments of all levels have a role to play in furthering electric vehicle adoption, but it will be the private sector and the individual consumer that ultimately power that revolution. Nice rounded off dates notwithstanding. It might not be the biggest EV-related news of 2019, but the Ford Motor Company's upcoming reveal of its new electric vehicle certainly is the most intriguing. It's an electric SUV inspired by the iconic Mustang model. Yes, you heard that right. Not an EV version of the Mustang itself, but an EV version of a crossover based on a Mustang. Wow. Needless to say, the internet has gone wild with possible renderings of such a hybrid beast, from the sensibly mild to the outlandishly wild. We'll know more in a couple of weeks' time when the yet-to-be-unnamed model is revealed at the LA Auto Show, so look for post-media auto writer David Booth's reporting on it on driving.ca. When I first heard about this, I thought Ford execs had lost their mind. But once the notion of a sporty crossover EV with some Mustang DNA in it began to sink in, I started to think this could be a masterstroke by the Detroit-based automaker. To date, the company's track record with electric vehicles hasn't been that impressive. But this seemingly wild and crazy idea just might see it leapfrog the competition. I can't wait to see it and hear more about it in Los Angeles. Okay, that's it for EV News. Let's talk to Ken. Okay, I'm here today with a uh, very interesting guy in the EV space in Canada. Um, he hails from Caledon, Ontario. He is a longtime Torontonian, but he's also had a tour of duty quite literally with the Navy in his youth based out of Victoria. Ken Bocor is my guest today. And um, apart from being an EV fan, Ken also has a wonderful YouTube channel called EV Revolution Show. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for the compliment. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. So um, 
First question, what is the first electric vehicle you ever drove? Uh, the first one I ever drove. Okay, first oh, one that, you ever That's drove. a good question. Um, I would probably have to say a Tesla Model S. Okay. Would be the first one. Okay. So if, so, you, if you're going to go, go high end, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and that's because I really was never into the EV market space only until a few years ago. And I know we're going to get into a little history on that. But um, so once I discovered this EV marketplace, I kind of knew a little bit about it. But as most consumers, totally unaware because that's not really what, what was going on at the time. Uh, so then I just happened to be at a Tesla store, uh, I think New Yorkdale or one of the, one of the locations. And on a weekend, you want to take a test drive? Sure. And, uh, was just blown away by not, not, not just the Tesla stuff, but just, you know, that instant torque and the quietness of EVs, two factors that immediately stand out when yeah. you get into one. Did you walk, when you closed the door on that Model X, yeah. did you feel like, can I be dramatic and say your life had changed? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely an eye opening experience. It was an awakening because I've been a car guy for many years. I've personally owned over 30 vehicles since started to drive when I was 15, but don't, you know, <laughs> just around the block, honest folks, uh, you know, 16 ran out and got my license. I was living in London, Ontario for a time and took my license. My first car was a 74 or 75 Chevy Vega. So nice. I'm dating myself now. So I've been into all kinds of stuff, muscle cars with Camaro Z28s and Ford big 351 so I kind of been in that circuit right. and getting into the to the 2000s with with you know some of the imports and doing some chipping and tuning and getting into that scene right um, so I kind of understood cars but this was a totally different experience in that Model S it was just you know never mind just that it was a luxury sedan and I've been in those but that electrification and once you once you it really does open your eyes to say wow this is something tangible now yes let let, let me explore that a little bit more and because you're a car guy did you think after driving that that there is a shift a paradigm shift in personal mobility on the horizon you know at that time going back to 2016 not necessarily a big paradigm shift but i could certainly see as gee this is something that is going to be into the future and you know it's a sleeping giant type of approach right so it's definitely something's going to take off, kind of like, you know, when the first smartphone came out from Apple, it took the world by storm, but there was not a lot of smartphones, right? You had your Blackberry, your Palm Trios, that was as smart as they got. So it took a little bit of time for that revolution to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and I do believe, hence the naming of my show, that it is a revolution, but it may not, you know, some people are comparing EVs to consumer type of devices like, you know, laptops and flip phones and uh, smartphones and all this stuff. And cars are a little bit different, as you know, Andrew, covering the automotive landscape. It's a much different buying experience and it's a much different way of, of purchasing those type of, of items and the longevity. You know, people keep them much longer, especially us Canadians. Like as long as we have the duct tape doesn't run out, we keep them going. <laughs> right. right? It's a big style. commitment of a car. It's a big commitment. Yeah. So adoption's happening, but it's not going to be as fast as it would be, let's say, for L- you know, LCD TVs and this kind right. of stuff. You know, looking at when your EV YouTube channel began, yeah, yeah. wasn't that long after you drove that car? Correct. So you immediately thought, long. I got to do something. Yeah, I got to do something. So what really was was kind of a, the nail in, into the, the box type of approach was when I watched the Model 3 reveal back at uh, March 31st, 2016. In fact, I watched it the next day, the early hours of uh, the April 1st of the morning, because I couldn't watch it live because it was on 11 o'clock Eastern. And right. I actually was flying to the States the next day on a 6 a.m. morning uh, flight out of Toronto um, to the, the Northeast US. So I needed to get to the airport early and, and get up. So I watched it sitting at, at the gate waiting, you know, for the plane as I got there nice and early. And as soon as I watched that, 
and I saw 35,000, I saw all electric, I saw a decent range, I said, I'm in. Yeah. Put my $1,000 down on the Model 3 and said, wow, this is like, this is a game changer for me. You know, and it was the price point that really caught me because knowing that EVs were still, and to, to some degree are still a little bit of a niche, right? Yeah. As far as, and you know, that we don't have cost parity, thought that was it. Put my, and immediately got excited. Um, and then started, you know, as we all do, get, get into websites and Googling things and seeing, you're learning as much as you can uh, about that vehicle and stumbling across a friend, made a friend here in Toronto that we started another channel with. And that channel originally was dedicated primarily to Tesla? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Primarily to Tesla. So what, what I had approached Trevor on, um, and because he had fired up a forum and, and got a lot of activity and interest in the Model 3 was, Let's do, let's just do a YouTube show or an audio podcast just to kind of keep that momentum growing. There's so many questions. It's such a new thing and it really sparked the industry knowing that this was going to be a big deal. Let's get community engagement and build a community out of that. But even then, I always thought that the market is still more than just Tesla. As I explored and read a little bit more and find, well, you know, the Leaf's been around since 2010. Right. It's been selling globally and these, there's some other stuff, the iMeve and there has been some stuff out there that have been selling. So, and EV adoption has to be more than just one state, one country, you know, one brand. It, it, in order to really make a significant difference in GHGs, which is at the end of the day what we're about, it's got to happen on a much more uh, massive scale. Um, and that was my take on, on starting the Model 3 uh, Owners Club YouTube show with Trevor is, is to incorporate some of that material into that, even though it was mainly a Tesla right. dedicated show. And, but now that show is solo. You're the, the you're the, a Correct. singular host of it and it is yeah. no longer a Tesla show. It is what you originally said. It's more about just the big landscape of EVs. Correct. Yeah. So Trevor is a big Tesla follower, enamored with the technology. He's a tech guy, a very smart engineer guy, always loved Tesla. So he kind of wanted to continue with, with promoting that. And I said, great, you know, let me branch off. Let me take the show into the direction that I kind of wanted to go, as you just described, Andrew. Yeah. So that's what I did about April of last year is when, when I started the new channel. Trevor right. helped for the first few. And then with both of our busy schedules, it was really hard to get together to record, as you can, I'm sure you know. It's hard. You can do things remotely, but it's much easier to do them in studio with a person, you know, and you have that dynamic to draw upon. So it was really getting harder for us to get together. We could maybe only do a show once every four or five weeks. Right. Uh, it was right. Hard, tough to get a good cadence going. Yeah. Um. So and then to do any kind of a traveling, you know, we do we did end up going down to the Tesla uh, first deliveries of the Model 3s in July of 2018, if I have my numbers right. Uh, or 2017. I have to, I have to think back. 2018. It's got to be 2018. You know, we did, we did, uh, put probably the first real video of a Model 3 test drive. The, we got access to a, a very early production model, uh, from a, from an owner and put that up there and got a million hits on that. So it wow. was kind of a big deal. Yeah. We'd yeah. be happy with that. Most people would suspect that now you have a Model 3 in your driveway, but that's not the case. So, that, how, so what happened case. there? You put yeah. your money down. You're excited to get this I did. car. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm glad you, you did your research. Um, it had Ford not kind of come in and, and, you know, knowing the government change that we had here in Ontario last year coming. Doug Ford, the premier. Doug Ford, yeah. yeah. Um, had, had he not come in or, or not been stating that he was getting rid of our incentive program, I most likely would have stuck with the Model 3. But for me, it was strictly economy, just economics. I had a budget to stick with. Yeah. I had always had my mindset on just the base model standard range Model 3. Right. And at that time last year, 
um, in 2018, uh, in June, you know, uh, March, April, May, Tesla, June, Tesla was still only selling here in Canada the top right. line model. Right. And it was, you know, it's about 60, 65K, yeah. you know, kind of up there. Yeah. And, you know, you get your 14 off of that, but, but great, it's still a big significant number. Right. And my budget simply it was just too much. So yeah. when I knew that the base Model 3 wasn't coming anytime soon, I had to start looking elsewhere because I didn't want to lose that $14,000. It's a significant amount of money. So I did test drive everything that was available at the time, the i3, the Nissan Leaf, the Chevy Bolt, uh, the Hyundai Ionic sedan, uh, those were, and the e-Golf, those were the other models that were available next to the model three at that time. So yeah. we're talking February, March of 2018. Um, and then I ended up picking the leaf. So uh, why the leaf? That. Um, actually the e-Golf was my first pick and I know my, our buddy fence might cringe, but he knows the story <laughs> anyway. Um, because I, you know, the, the golf's drive like a golf, you know, it, the, the really nice driving car and the interiors are just fantastic. So, and I wasn't too, too concerned about the range. 200 kilometers is more than enough for my daily, uh, needs. Um, but I couldn't get one. They had a really super long waiting list, like a year. So the next, my next choice was the Leaf. And the reason it wasn't the Bolt, because it also had to do with a family decision, mainly my wife. So because we do swap cars from time to time. Uh, she doesn't drive as far. And any car we purchase, she has to be able to drive it. She's kind of petite. So there's a, there's an ergonomic aspect to that. And, uh, she just couldn't, couldn't fit properly in the bolt. Otherwise I would have gone for that strictly for the range. Right. Just for the right, range. Cause right. I was fine with the bolt. It, yeah. Uh, I was looking to kind of get the most range I could at the time. Yeah. Settled on the leaf and I don't regret the decision at all. Right. Been and that would have been the car. second, just probably when the second generation came out. Yeah. So it was the new ones of the gen two. It was yeah. 2018 with the 40 kilowatt hour battery pack. And I got the SL, which has everything in it. And, you know, at a, at a really good out the door price. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> with the, with, you know, the incentives before they went away. There's a, there's a reason that's the best selling EV in the world. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So who would you say, I mean, you, now that you've had a couple of years or a year. Yeah. A year and a half now of the YouTube well. channel. Uh, the YouTube channel, almost a year and a half. Yeah. So, April so who's, then. who's, I mean, is there such a thing as an average viewer? I mean, who do you think is, who's watching your show and, and people yeah. out there who don't watch it? Why should they? Great questions. Um, you know, I've got a good mix of viewers. One thing YouTube does provide you is analytics, if you've explored that. And geographically, you know, my, uh, USA, Canada, USA, England, and Canada are my top three countries in that order, believe it or not. And then it goes down to 50 other countries around the world that I have viewers. A lot of the viewers are both avid EV owners and also people that are looking at EVs, just wanting to get more information. And from time to time, I think what really makes it kind of really what's the highlight of my day is when I get a viewer email me or message me or, or on comments and say, you know, thanks to watch part in part to watching what you do and, and helping learn more about EVs. I've gone and made a decision to buy an EV now because it fits in our life. And to me, that's really what I'm about. I'm more about the cause of getting, you know, rid of tailpipes and people, you know, into an electric vehicle where it makes sense. I'm also a very much a realist. So I'll People might say, yeah, you're a tree hugger or you're, you know, kind of too far one way. I'm not. I, I try to take a balanced approach because there is a real aspect. I know that EVs don't work for everybody. Right. And that's part of what I do is to try to explore that with people. Yeah. But for you, environmentalism is is part of the, sure. the big that's, picture. That's my motivator was to get something with a zero emission. We're fortunate in, in pretty well most of Canada, especially here in Ontario, that we have air quotes clean energy. You can debate the aspects of nuclear for, uh, for a while, but in all intents and purposes, it's really safe. We've had, you know, and, and 
and waste-wise, it's not a, not that bad as comparable to other situations. And the energy costs are so low, and combine that with our clean energy, that it, a zero emission impact here in Ontario makes a big, a bigger deal than maybe in you know in, in Virginia, West Virginia, or something where right. their energy is still coming from predominantly coal. Today's EV podcast is sponsored by Motorino Electric Scooters, Electric Motorcycles, and Electric Bicycles. Drop by the Vancouver store on West 2nd and test drive the Super Soco TC EV Motorcycle, a bike that is the most popular electric motorcycle in Europe. What is distinctive about the Super Soco TC model is it incorporates a blend between the beautiful classic design and the latest technology innovations relating to the battery, motor, and controller. Combined with a well-engineered body, the TC is the perfect piece of urban transportation that brings a smile on your face the moment you twist the throttle. You can see it in the Motorino showroom or check it out at motorino.ca. There's a lot of myth and fact out there about EVs. Mm-hmm. What would you, what in your mind, I mean, even from the feedback from your viewers, what do you think is the, the biggest myth about EVs? Yeah, I mean, range anxiety. I mean, every once in a while I get somebody say, can I take it through a car wash? So there is that... You know, uh, that concern, it's a valid concern, really. People just don't understand. Uh, and that's part of what I do is the educational aspect. But, I, you know, range anxiety kind of used to be the number one. That I'm seeing that go away now. Now that we're getting bigger, you know, models with bigger battery packs and combine that with more infrastructure. And I also think that when people try to really understand the use case. So, you know, if you come to me, Andrew, and said, you know, I need to buy a pickup truck or I need to buy a, an eight-passenger SUV that'll go 1,000 kilometers. And I'm going, well, how, how often do you drive 1,000 kilometers? Well, twice a year I go to hunt camp or whatever. I need that. Okay, so twice a year you're buying something for those minimal needs. It's the same aspect with EVs, right? What's your daily use? What's your most common elements? You know, 99% of my use is well within the Leafs range, even in winter. If I have to go beyond that, I either plan my trip differently with charging or I'll take my wife's car and my wife drives my car and and she has no problem. So our EV is always getting used. So the range anxiety is starting to go away. It's more about, I kind of, it's more bladder anxiety, right? Because you got to stop anyway <laughs> nowadays. So it's more, okay, now that I've taken that off the table, what about my operating costs? What about my ownership? I mean, these things are technically, you know, are they going to be more expensive? They're more, they're co- more costly to buy. So it's combating that with, you know, that, you know, they do run, uh, cheaper, obviously, depending on your power. Uh, in some states, it may not make sense, obviously, in the U.S. and other countries, but for most, it does. You know, operating costs, repair-wise, they're much lower, but people don't know that. So it's a matter of educating them. And I, I think in most car-buying situations, it still, or yep. it still comes down to cost efficiency. Yeah. As much as yeah. people want all the bells and whistles, it's yeah. still about how much is it going to cost me, and yep. in five years, how much is it going to cost me? Yeah, and, and EVs have a great total cost of ownership over time. And the longer you keep it, the better that total cost of ownership is. The only, the only hiccup to there right now is that the initial purchase price is higher from a cost parity than a comparable internal combustion vehicle. So I can buy a loaded Honda Civic for 30 grand, or I can buy a, a Nissan Leaf at 45 to 48 grand. You know, there's, that's why those incentives like we had last year helped because they closed that gap to almost take that cost away. I'm pretty well, experiencing benefits of lower operating costs from day one because now my you know my price point was matched so right. I'm, I'm experiencing but but for somebody who doesn't have either incentives or enough to cover that cost difference there, it takes a little bit more time to to get that cost 
uh, total cost of ownership savings and, right. and that return on that investment. But you're right. I'm hoping that we do see cost parity. I still think it's five to seven years away, and I'm a little bit negative on that, only right. because the auto manufacturers aren't that quick to give away money, <laughs> as you know, right. probably better than I do. Yeah. So if they can, even though we know battery costs are coming down, we know that there's more companies spinning up uh, parts and, and all supply chain for electrification. Uh, it's going to become much more commoditized. But manufacturers are still going to hold on those margins as much as they can. Yeah. And I think also what you said about the e-golf was true that mm-hmm. despite Canada's as a country on the globe is, is a good adopter of EVs, there are other markets that are getting first crack at these cars, yep. as particularly European and Japanese cars. So we're kind of lower on the chain. So that is a frustration I've heard from a lot of people who want an EV now, mm-hmm. but they can't get one. That, and that's a great point with when you look at the Kia and the Hyundai situation today, right? The Kona uh, EV and the Nero EV and the Kia Soul EV, the new one, they are all on constraint products. I, I've got viewers that tell me they're waiting 18 months Yeah, in some cases, uh, depending on where they are. I think that's in the U.S., that one. But you're at least six months to a year wait list for that, and that's a shame because the longer you wait, the more chance you're going to, uh, maybe I can't wait and I'll just go do something else. Right, and Maybe right. stay with a nice vehicle right. where you've had that opportunity to switch. So right. part of that, I think, is just Kia and Hyundai, which, as you know, are the same company, basically. Um, they're only manufacturing these in one South Korean plant, and they, I just don't think they've given it enough serious thought to to production value, to, to volumes. Yeah, like to, to push volume. them out because everywhere. I think if they pushed more out, they would sell more out. Right. There's no doubt about it. Demand is there, but the supply demand isn't. Demand is certainly there. So, yeah. yeah. What, what are your thoughts on plug-in vehicles? I mean, so, that's an, yeah. e- an EV of sorts. Very much so. I'm, I'm a big supporter of plug-in vehicles because I think they're a good stopgap measure. And I tell you why, because there are a lot of cases where uh, just an all-electric vehicle, just for that that use case that that driver or owner needs, isn't going to cut it. So whether or not I've got to drive 200 kilometers a day to work, there's not many choices in electric all-electric vehicles that are going to be able to cut that, right, as far as ranges go. And you have to factor in winter. So here in, in Canada, now where you are in lovely Vancouver, it's not as bad. You can stretch it a bit more. But when we get down to minus 25, minus 30s, it's common with all EVs that you can see up to 50% range loss in that battery. So if you've got something rated for 400 kilometers, you might only get two in the dead of winter. Plus, plus then you're turning on the heated yeah, seats, exactly. the heater, and everything's plus getting all taxed. Other stuff. Now, there are some benefits to heat pumps and some efficiencies that can be uh, be got, but right. you're absolutely right. So yeah. you know, people are surprised when I say up to 50%. As, uh, you know, certainly can be. So you need to factor that in. And if some people can't factor that into their use case, then a plug-in hybrid is a good step because you can kind of get the best at least, you know, of one world right. associated with another where you have a battery that you can run off of uh, only. So you're, you're at a zero emission state when you're running on that battery. And depending on the vehicle, it could be 30, 40 kilometers up to 80, 85 kilometers. The Chevy Volt, unfortunately, which is not being built anymore, is a fantastic plug-in vehicle, right? 80 kilometer ranges, a lot of, a lot of great owner stories there. And then once that battery runs out, you have an engine that kicks in and all it does is act as a generator to continue to feed juice to the, to the battery so you continue driving. So the secret there is that the drivetrain and the powertrain is still as it would be on an all-electric vehicle, it's still being driven by the battery pack to the to the motors and all that stuff. But you have this little engine in the back that's usually a 1.1 or a 1.2 or something that's just going as a generator. Um, so you are using less fuel 
Typically, they have small gas tanks, you know, maybe six liters or something like an IREX. But they're there to augment you. So instead of going 80 kilometers and then you're, you're no more energy, you can go another three, 400 on that gas. Or yeah. as much as you can find gas stations, which today you can still find them everywhere. Yeah. So Do it's you, a good alternative. I mean, one question or one thing you hear all the time in the EV world is a, is the term tipping point. Yeah. When will Thank we reach the tipping point of yeah. EVs, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in your mind, there are many metrics to measure yeah. what the tipping point is. Mm-hmm. Can it be a percentage of sales? I mean, many people think it's when, when incentives are no longer needed. Right. In your mind, what is the tipping point? Great question. And, and recently I've just taught, had this as a subject of a few of my last shows. So if you've been watching, I appreciate you bringing that up. I view it as what you said earlier, uh, as far as uh, more of a percentage of sales. Uh, obviously Norway is pretty well there. Almost one out of every two cars in Norway is now an EV. They're just shy of that. So to them, they've hit a tipping point, but globally we're nowhere near. You know, last year, 86 million vehicles and light, uh, autos and light trucks, uh, Commercial vehicles were sold globally, uh, with VW, Toyota, Renault, Nissan being the top, you know, 20 million in North America, uh, 20, 28 million in China and so forth. So these are huge markets. Out of that EVs, uh, only about 2.1 million out of that 80 some odd million. So there's a long way for EVs to go from a market share. And I think we'll hit the tipping point of market share. I'm still thinking it's a couple of decades away. I'm still thinking it's well into the 2030s, into maybe 2040s, early 2040s. And I got a lot of people say, well, why? We have this curve. We're riding this curve. We're doubling now every year. We're doubling this. I said, yeah, the numbers show. And if you, if you listen to Tony Seba's stuff, he's mathematically thinking by 2030, by 2030, we're, we're way, you know, we've hit that tipping point and beyond. I don't think it's going to happen for a couple of reasons. One is still demand and supply or supply and demand. I still think that's going to be an issue as we continue to ramp up the needs. Technology and battery cells are going to continue to advance and change. So there's going to be that element to add to the mix. There's a lot of countries around the world that simply don't have infrastructure. Take India. Even though they'll, they'll put strict, stricter emission demands, they're, they're going to go banning ice sales, I think, by 2030 as a country. Getting electricity out to all the populace, it's not there. And it's not going to be there for the foreseeable future. So you have countries like that that just don't have the physical elements and the infrastructure to support electrification or even governments and socioeconomic factors to help drive it. So as a, as a, a global element, yes, China is going to certainly carry and do what they need to do. But globally, I think it's still going to hit some time to, to get 50 million plus you know evs a year on the road plus nobody's building that many even all the combined manufacturers today are nowhere near building that many. right which is good news for your youtube channel rev- relevancy hopefully there's some some life to it <laughs> some longevity exactly i mean i'm here you know again as as my i do on my uh show my my tagline is educating minds one tailpipe at a time because that's really what i'm about is to provide that education you know and new stories and commercialization of uh, the electric, electric vehicle industry is also a big element. You know, fleet builds up and transport, short, medium hauls, you know, with Tesla and Nikola and all the truck manufacturers now getting into the game. There's already been some deliveries uh, by a truck manufacturer, not Tesla, but somebody else already that just delivered 100 units, uh, all electric. They're great for those kind of models. And, and, you know, and school buses, my goodness, how much diesel comes out of those things when you look at them. And I've, you know, I've been to some other countries, like some of the South American countries where in public transit, you're behind these buses and they are just emitting so much black smoke. 
we've had to tell the, our cab driver, hey, can you like go back farther? Because we're choking here out of right. these fumes. So right. there's a long way to go for the Yeah, because we're in a yeah. bit of a bubble. I think we the, are. the more I travel, I realize how much of a bubble I am in in Vancouver because, mm-hmm. I mean, you see a lot of EVs in Vancouver. That's right. And but So you kind of get the impression that we're all like this. But yeah. Like you say, travel the world, and it's it's. There's a few decades to go. Go to Portland, you'll see something similar. Yes, <laughs> out in the West California, to a point. Yeah, but beyond that, you're right. It's very very small pockets. So while people in the USA may think, you know, we might double, triple, and get to those numbers, just take and and the Scandinavian countries, UK is going to put in, you know, really quick. They've already done it with congestion charges in the UK and in downtown London and this kind of stuff, you yeah. know, installing more charging points everywhere. They realize it. So yeah. it's happening fast. So, so fast, relatively speaking. Right. right? So last question, it's yeah. more an observation. So, uh, you know, this is the first time you and I have met yeah. and I kind of have watched your YouTube channel. And Thank I think you. what's one of the things is the appealing about your approach is you're not a, a disciple of the EVs. A lot of that is uncompromising. There's mm-hmm. no, it's either my way or the highway, pardon the pun. Yeah. Is that a measured approach for you? I mean, is that something from an education standpoint, you realize there's lots of channels out there that are just pro Tesla and anything else is terrible and explain yeah. that approach. Well, that's just me. That's just me as a person. I mean, what you see on the screen is all genuinely me. Uh, I come across, you know, kind of, I've always had a balanced approach to looking at things. It's easy to get into a fandom type of mode and get, you know, really uh, infatuated with one certain product, you know. So, I mean, I love Apple. Everything in our house is Apple as much as possible. But I'm not out there as an Apple disciple. I believe in their tech. And my stance on Apple was that if you get enough of it, it you know, within their ecosystem, it works really, really well. So why why would I break apart? Why start introducing other elements when everything I have works well together? If we want to share information and so forth, but I but I'm not going to stand on a street corner and yell about Apple. Yeah. Um. And I feel the same way with EVs. I'm motivated because of the environmental impact. That's my number one goal. Try you know get rid of a tailpipe, lower emissions, and and consumer transportation is only one part of that whole food chain, as you know. When you really look at global emissions, you know there's a whole thing about vegan now. There's a whole thing about Palm oil, there's all these other elements that are going on, manufacturing and, and, you know, airplanes and trains and all these other modes of transport as well that need, that need to be dealt with. So I do what I can within my limited space and I try to bring that balance approach because the last thing I want to do is give advice to somebody. They go and they buy and they go, yeah, you know, I, I, like I ran out of juice because I, I thought I was going to get more and my family got stuck and what a terrible experience. I mean, I don't want that on anybody. So by providing all the facts that I understand them to be, and and providing some balanced insight, I think cons- you know consumers and people can make better informed decisions, and that's really what I'm about. That's Ken Bocor, yep. the EV Revolution Show. That's it. Viva la Revolution! Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Here's my takeaway from my interview with Ken Bocor. First off, I'm totally humbled by the fact that this guy has produced, as of November 3rd, 67 YouTube episodes of his EV Revolution show. This is just plugged in episode number four, and I've got the post-media machine behind its production, so I'm really awed by Ken's solo work on his great YouTube show. I'm equally impressed by his measured tone when it comes to discussing the electric vehicle revolution, particularly for someone who started out with a Tesla-related show. In the vast majority of cases, those shows tend to be heavily biased to the brand and the technology, where inconvenient facts are discounted and any deviation from the hymn book is disregarded. In other words, preaching to the converted. As you heard during the interview with Ken, he's willing to discuss, even point out, the warts on the electric vehicle revolution, 
and to be sure, there are warts. For instance, Ken brings a logical and educated opinion about the EV tipping point, one based on facts and not emotion. As such, his EV Revolution show offers current and prospective EV owners not only excellent and up-to-date information on new and coming soon vehicles, but honest reporting on the technology. That is exactly what I'm trying to achieve with this podcast, not to be an EV advocate, but rather an EV commentator. And guys like Ken have raised the bar to keep me not only honest, but also inspired to be better. Fake news abounds not only in the electric vehicle space, but in most every aspect of society today. So voices like Ken's need not only to be listened to, but celebrated. I highly recommend his EV Revolution show on YouTube. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest, Ken Bokor, producer extraordinaire Darm Makwana, National Post producer Bryce Hall, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca and subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.